Welcome to Light of the World. This is Dr. Espinoza, Pastor Espinoza. You might know me that way. St. Paul's Lutheran Church of Irvine, California, LCMS. We continue our podcast here at Light of the World with a very special guest today. I'd like to introduce Reverend Dr. Jonathan Reese. He is the uh, the director of the um, Leadership Institute at Concordia University, Irvine, and professor of theology at Concordia University, Irvine. And just recently, um, Brother Jonathan, I understand that you have completed something very special in your life. Yes. What was that? That was my PhD. <laughs> Congratulations. That's fantastic. Thank you. How are you feeling about it? I feel great. I'm glad it's done. It's off the plate. <laughs> Probably the best part about it. It's done. That's right. It is, yeah. it is finished. Right. It is finished. Is, is, is your dear wife also pleased with this? Is, is, she, she is very pleased. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we, we thank God that uh, he, he gave you the strength to see it through and to get this very important research done. Thank you. Would you please tell us what was this research about? Your dissertation. Yeah. yeah. So um, I've been very interested for a number of years in regards to um, the paranormal and just more specifically, I think, in regards to how what people refer to as ghostly phenomena. And I'll just use that terminology for right now. Okay. Um, and part of that interest uh, was just due to experiences that I had serving in the church and people coming to me and just saying, I think there's something wrong with my house. I think my house might be haunted. Something's going on. And just having that experience over and over and over again uh, led me to ask the question, well, what other LCMS pastors are dealing with the same kind of issue? And what do they believe is going on? And how do they handle this kind of issue? And so my research was uh, what we say is qualitative. So I interviewed 39 LCMS pastors across the United States. Um, as just like a, uh, basically a sample size. Yeah. And the criteria was um, not that they had had any personal experiences, but rather that they had somebody come to them, whether from their own church or maybe from the community where their church is at and just said, yeah, I think my, I think my house is haunted. I, see. Um, I specifically want to focus in on that just because, you know, as you know, with doing a dis dissertation yourself, that you want to be very focused on that. And so right. um, yeah. stayed away from the whole demonic possession thing just Got because it. it's been done quite a bit yeah. um, and just want to do it in a different area, which really didn't yeah. have a lot of research behind it. So mm -hmm. although yeah. demonic possession did come up as a sub theme in, in mm -hmm. it, but otherwise Certainly. that was my, uh, my main focus. Yeah. I, I am very excited to hear about your work. Um, I, I'm one of those pastors that uh, has experienced God's people coming to me to tell me about their experiences uh, within their homes mm. um, in other places, of course, um, in dwellings. And uh, I appreciate the distinction you're making that, um, you know, sometimes when we talk about possession, we'll, we'll go automatically to the popular idea of uh, bodily possession, right. a person's right. being possessed. But you're bringing up another vital area of the dwelling itself being possessed. Right. And, Certainly, um, I, and you and I have talked about this before, but Robert Bennett has um, conducted an invaluable work to the church in, in his two books published by Concordia Publishing House, um, uh, unafraid uh, in depicting his experiences in Madagascar mm -hmm. about um, individuals being possessed, and then afraid to look at the climate here in the United States of America. Um, um, afraid because interestingly enough, um, he 
he postulates that our worldview uh, actually makes us more susceptible to to fear yeah. this sort of thing. Yep. But what you have done is you've brought in this additional element of, again, the, the possession of the dwelling and what to do about that. And, and I, I noted as you were describing this to us, it's not simply to acknowledge that this phenomenon is happening. What does the church do about it? Right. So I really thank you for that. Can you give me a sense of, of what's those, you said 39 pastors? Yeah, yep. What kinds of things did they, they report about their experiences? Yeah, so um, vast. Um, so I'll, I'll, let me first talk. Um, what I did What I did find was very interesting is that um, a small segment of them, maybe a third I should say really, um, had personal experiences with themselves with this phenomenon. Mm -hmm. So, and they described it whether it was in a previous ministry context, there was many of them that served on the mission field. Um, I should say international mission field because I believe the United States is a mission field. Amen, brother. Um, and so they described experiences they had there, and that yeah. became, a lot of times they said that became more of a reality to them when they saw that. Mm -hmm. um, others ex described experiences they had personally in their own life as a child or as a teenager or even some, mm -hmm. and other even uh, ministry context, church context too here too as well in the, in, in uh, North America. So um, that was part of it. The the main focus though of that section, I think, of my dissertation was really um, what was described to them by the people that were coming to them. Got it. And a lot of what they described is very typical things that you'll hear um, in in books that you'll read on the topic, yeah. um, on television shows that you read. I mean, without the sensationalization of it. Right. But, yeah. um, so part of what I, I, I dipped into a little bit with my research was to look at, you know, some of the parapsychology, right. That field that used to be very popular in the seventies and what have you, and kind of, uh, I dwined, I guess you could say in, in popularity, but still very, uh, a lot of interest in regards to that field. Um, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. just looking at some of that, those, um, professional or academic uh, pursuits of that that was being done in the in the even earlier part of the 20th century and later on. And, and a lot of the phenomenon they described and they cataloged a lot of this, whether it was in Great Britain or in the U.S., there was, you see a lot of parallels of what the pastors talked about in regards to the people that came to them. So can Polter, you, go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say, yeah. can, can you list maybe um, seven, eight or nine of those phenomenon that you hear yeah. a lot of? Poltergeist phenomenon came up quite a bit. Um, and so with that being things like a lot of knockings, hearing on walls, on doors, um, phantom footsteps, uh, running sounds even too as well, not just walking, but running, you know, and someone hears something running outside their hall and they open the door or, you know, outside their bedroom, they open the door and there's nothing there. Mm -hmm. um, that 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 was probably a that phenomenon, but there was also things like I, I refer to it as the the disembodied voices, murmurings that they would hear of things, things that they can't quite make out, but almost like conversations they would hear that was going on like in the room next to them, but there was nobody in that room. Um, you had things too, like, um, there was some, uh, what I refer to as olfactory experiences, things that smelled, um, especially one pastor I remember said that in a house that he described it as smelling like a ripe outhouse. So very, very, uh, pungent and just disgusting mm -hmm. smelling. Um, you had other, uh, apparitional phenomena as I refer to it as well. So, uh, the appearance of some kind of, um, phantom spirit, um, 
what I'd ultimately say was a demonic manifestation. Um, that actually came up quite a bit too as well. Mm -hmm. And what was interesting about the apparitional phenomenon was that no one described this being like, you, you know how you see in <laughs> popular movies and stuff as something sort of translucent. No one described the apparitions in that way. Everyone describes seeing something that looks solid. Um, the other thing that was fascinating is how it came up that some people described how people were seeing like three different types of spirits in their house. Mm -hmm. um, usually some angry old man and maybe some mischievous young boy and some female spirit that comes across as sort of being gentle or whatever nice. I thought that was very interesting. Mm -hmm. The other thing that came up too was um, uh, what would what would on the outset be viewed as somebody having an imaginary friend, um, but which later on evidence realized that while they're seeing this and other people can't see it, there's proof that shows that this is more than just an imaginary friend. Right. Um, so that story actually came up more often than I realized in the research. Um, yeah. I had one pastor actually said that actually personally happened to him growing up. Mm. Um, and then others just describing how that was things that they saw. So yeah. um, that's a lot of what came out of that. And then, mm. and then a sub theme was demonic possession too, as well. Sure. Um, some people were where they described that, you know, sometimes the, these quote unquote hauntings led to that, yeah. more full-on possession that's going on in people's lives. So, That's fascinating, and that's a very thorough list. There are a lot of things that you've encountered in your research um, that, that give us a better idea of what people are actually experiencing out there. Um, I serve someone and been a pastor now for over 30 years and have served many, many people in, in different places. But one of those cases, um, they, they mentioned uh, temperature fluctuation. Yeah. Uh, so you've also heard about that one. And I, I really appreciate what you said about when uh, something is seen, that it's not translucent. Um, in a, a different case, um, the family that came to me was based on the report of their young daughter who saw a man, as she put it, uh, coming into her room late at night. And uh, she wasn't talking about some phantom ghostly appearance, but a, the way she referred to it, like a real man. And later on in that, that account, the, the parents admitted that, you know, they just assumed nightmares and, honey, everything's okay, nobody's there, et cetera, et cetera, until the day came that the mom saw something in the house. And um, so um, these things, um, it, it, we just can't deny the reports that are there and, and, right. and the people. You know, you and I, we go way back, and um, we have done – some work together in this field. Mm -hmm. And both of us early on in our relationship, as we started to talk about this, we, we ran into a, a, a wonderful brother in Christ, George Mather, who's, mm -hmm. who's back East, uh, who has a lot of experience in this area, as you know. Uh, he worked with uh, Walter Martin uh, with the Christian Research Institute a long time ago. And he, uh, um, Mather, George Mather, has contributed to works on, the, on cults and the occult. But one of the things that he shared with us that really stuck to me is that we, we learn to, to hold a healthy skepticism when it comes to the reports that we receive. But he maintained that tension because he knew that oftentimes while people can make things up or they can imagine things, what have you, very often they're reporting actual demonic activity. Why in the world 
would we, you and I, in the 21st century, as um, ordained pastors and professors in the church, treat this stuff seriously? So I guess I'm asking you now about, you know, what, what backs up um, your thinking in terms of, of, of why we should treat this seriously. Yeah. You know, I th- I, for starters, um, and I think you'd agree with me on this one, is because, you know, our scriptures speak, uh, treat it seriously. Um, it really is all over the scriptures. And we see it obviously more focused in the Gospels and, and in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Paul, and I, and I read this at one point, and I don't remember who this biblical scholar said this, but he said that uh, Paul references the, the powers and principalities or some version of that, terminology of that, and every single one of his letters with an exception, I think, of Philemon. Wow. Um, and so it's it's either, it's, you know, Ephesians is obviously, it's exploded right. there. Colossians is exploded yes. there. Yeah. But you see hints of it in Romans. You see it, hints of it in uh, Philippians and those kinds of things. So Paul talks quite a bit about it too, right? So, you know, our, our scriptures talk about the reality of it. Um, it's historical. It's a reality of it. It's, it's amazing to me that you start digging into this and you see how far back, uh, I think one of the, I encountered one of the earliest, um, quote unquote, ghost stories, not fictional ghost stories, but Mm -hmm. it was reported to be true. Mm -hmm. Um, probably the earliest, um, it comes out of Greece. It was Mm -hmm. a, a philosopher staying the night in a, in a, what was a haunted house kind of a thing too as well. And yeah. this goes back to like the, you know, BC we're talking about kind of a thing too, you know, other than obviously our own scriptures that speak to it. So it's a cross cultural phenomenon that's yeah. attributed to um, every culture in that regards across the United States talks about the reality of it. Yeah. Um, a few years back, I had a conversation with an anthropologist on campus. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I asked him this question. I said, is it fair to state that the majority world uh, believes in some type of supernatural or, or spiritual reality. And he mm-hmm. said to me, yes, I think that's fair to say that. Mm-hmm. And, and what that says to me is that the West has been an oddity in regards to its, its struggle and its uh, with this phenomenon and its mm-hmm. kind of skepticism and its denial of it kind of a thing yeah. too as well, because you step in other cultures and it's just a part of their reality. They believe in it. Uh, I mean, even places like where you go to, you know, China where communism is, is, mm-hmm. is taken hold, but they still hold on to mm-hmm. those traditional beliefs and there's still mm-hmm. ancestor worship and the belief that the ancestors still mm-hmm. impact their current life, you know, and those kinds of things too as well. So even in those kind of atheistic regimes, it's not been driven out entirely. Um, wow. And so I, I think that's really first and foremost, the foundation of why, mm-hmm. why we should as pastors is believe it as our scriptures speak to the supernatural reality that's there. I find this kind of an ironic situation that when we accept the um, empirical experiences of people who report these things, which is just, like you said, all over the world, and the anthropologists really verifying that most people, he believes, believe, and I believe him. I, I, I think that this is uh, something that is, is rather evident when you start to serve in this yeah. area. But here, I like what you said, because here in America, in the, 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 the westernized you know, postmodern technological culture, we want to push this away. Um, in that same culture, we're pushing God away. Yep. yep. And, and those cultures that embrace that, hey, these things are real, are oftentimes the same cultures that, you know, we, we believe that God is real too. Um, and, and so we, we think we're ahead of the game by our technological advancement and modernism in the United States, but actually we are digging a ditch for ourselves to deny these things. 
And um, I say ironic because to confess demonic and Satan in these things is to confess, as you brought out already, what's in the Bible. Right. And I'm fascinated by what you said. I, I'd never heard that in all of his letters, with the exception of Philemon, St. Paul has mentioned this. That's, that's amazing. Let me ask you this, though. Um, you know, sometimes um, biblical scholars, as, as they're, um, you know, applying their, their, their trade upon the scriptures to conduct um, hermeneutics, They'll say something like this, and I'm going to oversimplify it, but I, I, you know, I know you'll understand. Um, they'll, they'll say some, well, well, you know, we have to appreciate that this is coming from a, 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 a very old, if not archaic, time period. And so um, the, the explanatory power for describing phenomenon wasn't there during the writing of the scriptures. There were many psychological maladies, for example, that they were not aware of, that we're now aware of. Just look at how thick the DSM-5 is nowadays, for right, example. Right, right. So, so, so maybe what we're reading here in Scripture are, are just additional physiological maladies or additional psychological maladies, but come on. I mean, why do you want to go to the demon thing right away? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's something that always kind of haunts us, doesn't it, so to speak? Yeah, yeah, nice choice of words <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah, right? Um, yeah, you know, what I what I find, though, is there's the first problem with that is you're being uh, anachronistic, right? So you're, you're taking your own historical time period and trying to trying to make that the interpretive principle back in the past, yeah. uh, rather than letting the past speak for itself and what how yeah. they understood things. Mm. Um, so that's, mm. that's, that's very, that's very uh, egocentric. You could yeah. say that in that regards. I think that's also ethnocentric. Mm. You could do as well. I think mm -hmm. I think that's that's the same thing that we see today when the West wants to assert that they have a better empirical understanding of what's going on than these other quote unquote backward cultures or these primitive cultures kind of thing too as well. It's arrogant. It is very arrogant. Yes, mm -hmm. I agree. The other thing though too is um, the scriptures talk about though phenomena happening in a way that goes beyond just you know, uh, psychoses and uh, dissociative identity disorders and those kinds of things, right? That I, the, my go-to story is Mark five, right? The, the, the guy who's possessed with legion, right? They try to bind him and he's, and he's breaking these chains and those kinds of things. And sure, yeah, we know that people can get bouts of like, you know, um, adrenaline strength kind of thing too, but that's not, that's not sustainable going on. And we see this guy, and I don't know that I've ever read stories of someone just with a, a bout of strength was breaking chains, you know, right, metal chains, right, 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 right. you know, and, and how he acts and those kinds of things really get beyond more of just saying there's, there's more to this than meets the eye. Mm. I am I'm wrapping up a book that's actually more, more of a recent book that was written, uh, published back in last year, mm. um, by a psy, uh, psychiatrist and a, um, Christian mm -hmm. it's called demonic foes. Mm -hmm. And so this is a guy that Catholic has been brought in on a lot of cases to, um, bring that, you know, psychiatric perspective and those kinds of things. Yeah. And one of the things I appreciate about his book is that he does speak to the, um, how sometimes people are misdiagnosed as being demonic when they really aren't. Um, mm -hmm. but he has repeatedly said in that book that there is just this kind of phenomenon that goes beyond anything that's 
can be described as as just being merely psychological, right? So the fact that people can speak in languages they didn't know, right? Yeah, yeah, so the fact yeah. that yeah. Uh, the strength issue and all those, and, yeah. and he even mentions more than once levitation, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah. someone who has multiple personalities isn't all of a sudden spontaneous yeah. levitate off of a bed or anything. No, so, I'm really yeah. glad you, you said that because now we're talking about um, observed phenomena that just go beyond right. the, the physiological right. or the psychological. Right. And uh, for example, as we were listing some of the um, observed phenomenon, yep. um, you know, I mentioned two accounts just in, in my ministry, but, but there's a third one, and actually there's more, but this third one I'm gonna mention is that um, I had this young couple come to me and, and they were very upset and, and they're involved in the church, et cetera. But please come because something very disturbing happened uh, he was working late. His wife was at home um, uh, in bed, and he comes home late, but he had a long day at work, so he wanted to kind of unwind. So he gets in bed with his wife, and he's watching a little TV. And this gentleman reports to me that he feels um, something as if grabbing his two ankles at the end of his bed and then actually starting to be pulled off and sliding physically off of his bed. Yeah. And how in the world do you explain something like that based on physiology or psychology? Right, right. And, and the other thing um, if from, and now I'm thinking of a fourth uh, reported case to me, was uh, someone uh, realizing a levitation of objects yep. going on yep. in their house. Yep. And, and so I, I love what you're saying because I, in getting back to how I launched this with the scriptural testimony that, that you were explicating, I, I am very appreciative that these scriptures, uh, which are not archaic at all, they, they describe real life as much as anything you'll ever read, and in fact, better than anything you'll ever read, um, going out of its way to describe um, things like anxiety, being downcast, being distressed, being in despair, uh, all of these things that go into that, that wheelhouse of psychology, even in the scriptures. Right, right. And then you have, um, for the physiological aspects, you, you have um, things like skin diseases, uh, leprosy, you have um, a bleeding, the woman who was bleeding for 12 mm -hmm. years. Uh, but then as a very distinct category after these are thoroughly acknowledged in scripture is this other category. And so I, I, I just, I, I think that's why it's so important that we do take it seriously. If we're Christians who say the Holy Bible is the word of God and we don't treat this seriously, there's a real problem. Right. Yep. Yeah. And, and you know what, uh, along those lines too, as well is in, in my dissertation, one of the things in, in hearing the stories from this pastors, I, I categorized what they described to me with two different categories, mm -hmm. which I called the EPE and the IPE. Mm -hmm. The EPE is external phenomenon experienced and the IP was internal phenomenon experienced. Mm. And by and by and large, the EPE was a larger category than mm -hmm. the IPE. Mm -hmm. And in fact, even when I discovered uh, was that even when people were describing some kind of, and, and by the way, let me give you an example of internal phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Somebody who, who says, you know, I'm having a lot of a lot of really troubling nightmares and mm -hmm. those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Now, that all by itself, you're not going to go mm -hmm. to a supernatural explanation. Right. But more often than not, the IPE was always linked to other external phenomenon that was going on. So it was mm -hmm. like things happening in the home that was yeah. also leading to these really disturbing dreams that they were having too as well. Yeah. And, and wow. the other thing too is that so often it was described that multiple people were experiencing the same phenomena. So it wasn't just mm -hmm. one person saying, and, and I, 
And I also want to be very quick to say, we don't want to discount even just the one person's experience. Right. But right. when you have somebody telling, like one pastor told me, it's like he even came to the house yeah. and he heard the disembodied footsteps. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of like the, the, the floor that we're in mm-hmm. where um, here at the building, mm-hmm. uh, where it's the circle here. And yeah. he said that, his, that, that house mm-hmm. he came in was a circle. Mm-hmm. And he says, you could hear and you could mm-hmm. almost follow the disembodied footsteps all the way around the circle of his house kind of thing. Um, and more than once he'd gone there and he'd experienced, yeah. he personally experienced things, which also the, uh, the owners of the house experienced at the same time and also testified. These are things that we, they had experienced outside of him even being wow. there too. So wow. recall that I mentioned the, the one case where the, there was a temperature fluctuation. Yeah. Yep. Every member of that house experienced that same fluctuation. It wasn't just one person. What about, uh, Dr. Reese, what, what about the great, um, Lutheran reformer Martin Luther. What what was his take on some of this? Yeah, Luther actually had quite a bit to say about this. I bet. Um, it's fascinating to me to see that it comes up in his sermons, mm-hmm. um, but then also he references it in his table talks and just mm-hmm. in his kind of uh, personal comments in his own life. Luther, on more than one occasion, um, experienced poltergeist phenomena. Uh, he also described even seeing uh, apparitions appear in different forms and ways, too, as well. And it's interesting to see even the way he describes it. Um, I believe there's one time he d- talks about the idea of how he describes the, the devil appearing as a pig. And I've read in literature on, quote-unquote, phantom animals that people experience. That's actually one of the things that people claim to, to experience is some kind of, like, abnormally large pig or other kinds of weird animals. And so mm-hmm. and those things have always kind of been linked to to poltergeist phenomena. So, mm-hmm. uh, he talks about, you know, things that get, you know, um, disembodied footsteps as he's heard and knockings and mm-hmm. rappings and all kinds of things too as well. And yeah. so he very much believed in the reality of this kind of situation and, mm-hmm. and attributed it to being as the work of the devil. That's a, a very, uh, important record in history is obviously an outstanding, exceptional theologian. And it leads me to to the the discussion within the church and uh, among Christians, there are many Christians who won't necessarily um, conclude the work of the devil. Is that right? Correct. What are the other things that are considered? So very popular today is the idea that it must be some sort of um, uh, spirit who's passed on, like the spirit of the dead is really the most popular one. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, amongst anything. So this idea that someone can die and and can kind of linger on and and still be haunting a home and and maybe communicating to the relatives who are still there Mm -hmm. um, kind of thing. Or, you know, what's been historically too as well as the idea that some sort of tragedy has occurred there. You know, a lot of of stories that you hear about ghostly phenomenon, it's... (laughs) It's never about some, you know, sweet old woman that passed away in her bed. You know, <laughs> It's always about, you know, violence occurred there. And I think there's something to that that we, we should explore and talk about. But it's, it's always about, you know, and so it's, it's someone died in a gruesome way or suicide or whatever. And so now they're seeing the spirits of these people that, that, mm-hmm. that are around kind of thing. Um, and that's, that's a real danger for us to jump to that, uh, that conclusion. Yeah. So that, that seems to be perpetuated by Hollywood. Correct. In, yep. in popular literature, yep. um, why would you lean towards the demonic explanation? Which, by the way, I completely lean towards myself. Uh, but, but why would you take that position? I take that position because of the fact that um, we don't see. 
outside of maybe a couple references in scripture of, you know, we could talk about the Mount uh, Transfiguration account where Moses and Elijah, you know, appear and we're kind of scratching our head and saying, what's going on here? And the very debated text of of, um, Samuel's ghost appearing, which everyone's all over the place on that, right? Right. Um, Outside of that, we don't see in scripture this idea that people die and hang around. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, as Hebrews talks about it, right? A person dies and goes to judgment. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I see that that part of the larger demonic plot, if you will, on this is to get people to doubt the reality of of the afterlife, that there is a real heaven and a real hell. Um, there was a movie that was that was produced uh, a few years back called The Others, and mm. Nicole Kidman was in that movie. Scared me. Yeah, <laughs> scared me. That was a scary movie. It's man. a very scary movie, and and I'm going to ruin it. But uh, <laughs> and, but it's what's interesting about that film is that yeah. you have a mother who is who is um, a Christian teaching teaching her kids Christian faith and talking about the afterlife, and and the twist of the movie is the end. You find out actually they're dead. And so they're left at the end uh, with the sense of like, oh, there is no afterlife. This is the afterlife. And, and, yeah. and, and it's and, and that movie's is got some pretty intense moments to it. Yeah. But it, it leaves you with a sense of just like hopelessness. Yes. Of And she I just, I just remember that scene where she's she's on the floor with her kids and holding them and, and she just keeps rocking back and forth and saying, this house is our house. This house is our yeah. house. Yes. And that's that. And I'm like, that's exactly what I think the whole demonic plot is behind this is this idea to, to get us to believe that, yeah. that no people die and they can hang around or there's some sort of nebulous spirit world that they yeah. go to or whatever kind of thing. Yeah. And it gets them away from the reality of a real heaven and a real hell. I think this is profound. Um, and thank you for blessing me already and just speaking to you today. Um, we know that the devil is out to destroy. He wants to destroy people, their lives, their bodies, their spirits. He wants to rob us of faith. And, and he wants to do it through deception. Mm-hmm. And if he can convince us that, you know, oh, you know, we just, we're just ghosts that just kind of hang around, it, it diminishes the rest of the Christian worldview. Yep. So, so I'm so glad you're, you're giving us a heads up on, on this problem. Uh, can I, can I add yeah, one, please. one thing? Yeah, Sorry. Please do. Uh, as you're talking, it's reminding me of it too. I think part of also we see is, and this is, this is, this is an ongoing plot line, I guess I'll say, that I've seen throughout history, and, mm-hmm. and you've seen this too as well, and I see this quite a bit today in different ways. Mm-hmm. It's also Satan wanting to perpetuate a Gnosticism. Mm. Uh, this mm. idea that the material is bad and the spirit is what's yeah. good. And so, right, the goal yeah. is eventually you're gonna die and yep. your body's just gonna rot, just rot away in the grave, and that's yeah. it's the spirit is what's important. Yeah. And so it really ultimately comes an attack on the resurrection. Man, that's a huge point, folks. Um, I was um, talking to someone, maybe a little debating going on, and um, he mentioned to me in, in, in all of his life experience, and, and he, he's, he's lived a while, he's, he's in his 60s now, um, that every single funeral that he has ever attended, regardless of the faith tradition, and he knows a lot of people, has a lot of friends, um, that in every case, the world religion will talk about, essentially at the end of the day, the... Um, the exaltation of the spirit above the body and the inferiority of the body uh, compared to the spirit, which of course is advocating, as you've said, a Gnosticism. You know, the body really isn't important. It's all about the spirit. And interestingly enough, um, 
this, uh, the, uh, the, the man that I've been talking to, um, it just so happens he espouses reincarnation. How about that? And in doing so, <laughs> he denies the resurrection. But he made this blanket statement about what he has heard and experienced at funerals. And I had to come back and say, well, I can share with you what I've done at more funerals than I can count right now. At the end, when we talk about may God who created this body and may uh, the son who redeemed this body and may the Holy Spirit who sanctified this body through the washing of baptism, raise this body up on the day of the resurrection. Yeah. And we are proclaiming the physicality of we coming back in the body. Yep. So I, I, I so much appreciate your point. It makes total sense that if we can reduce this according to Satan's deception, we rob people of knowing the comfort of the resurrection. Correct. It's huge, right. just right. huge. Now, before we go on, you've used a term that I heard in a movie about 30 years ago. I'm gonna date myself, I'm you know, I'm 56 years old, right? <laughs> uh, a movie called Poltergeist. Yeah. What exactly do we mean by that term? Yeah, it's a, it's a German word. Um, there was it, was, it was interesting, um, just a little side note here. There was one historian I was reading that was claiming that Luther was the first one to coin that phrase. Really? Yet he had no um, actual notation to back that up. He just said that. And I was just all like, well, and I'm, and part of me is thinking it actually may have been a phrase that was popular in Luther's time that he just wrote on and maybe he was the first one to write, use that. But yeah. anyhow, um, it actually means noisy ghost is really what the literal translation of it is. Um, or noisy spirit, really, Geist, right? And so this idea that that something is knocking around and and running around and making all kinds of uh, kinds of problems, kind of a thing too, as well. It it shows up quite a bit in history. Um, mm. In what and actually, um, what's interesting too, as well, is you see once with the Reformation hits. Um, let me back up. You know, a lot of people when they think about this kind of what I call the spooky side of spirituality, they, yeah. they tend to think if they identify a church with this, they always identify the Catholic church with this, right? Because yeah. of yeah. the exorcist films and all the kinds of things. Right. But you know what, historically speaking, the Protestants were very involved with this too as well. And yeah. you can see this and not just Lutherans, but also mm. Calvinists and everything too as well, mm. uh, the reformed crowd. And, and, and what's interesting is that, especially in the 16th century moving forward, you see a lot of reports about poltergeist phenomena and people dealing with this. Wow. So there's a very interesting exchange of letters that John Wesley um, mm. uh, had with one of his sisters. And John Wesley, if, um, if everyone knows this, is, a, is the founder of uh, Methodism, right? right. Um, he's written a lot, of, a lot of hymns and popular with his brother Charles. Right. Um, his father was a, um, an Anglican priest right in the Church of England. And uh, apparently the house... Um, the rectory in which his father lived in, um, it's called, you can look this up, Epworth Rectory, dealt with poltergeist phenomena. And so there is an exchange of letters between John and one of his sisters describing what's going on in the home. Wow. And John talking with her and those kinds of things. And it's really a fascinating set of letters to read because, you know, here's another Christian within the Protestant tradition yeah. who is also addressing this and talking about it. And and here's this Christian family that's dealing with it and how they how they handle and deal with it and how they're wrestling with what's going on kind of thing. So it's it's been around quite a bit. So the scriptures treat it as real and the reports from history treat it as real. Perhaps we should as well. And um, as we do so, I, I, I think this is a great um, transition for us because uh, for one thing, I, I think just having said that can be comforting for a person because if someone, especially we were talking about the culture and how it poo-poo's this, 
if someone out there is actually experiencing some of this stuff, how easy it is for them to feel like they're just either losing it or they're afraid to say anything because someone will call the loony, you know, truck to pick them up. It, it isn't it good to know that we can say to these people who are really going through this, we understand yeah. because it is real. Yep. Uh, okay. But what do we do about it? Uh, what has been the approach uh, say from scripture and the history of the church to help people who are going through these things? Yeah. Um, you know, I like the very ancient approach and, and I see this um, in my research, but the idea of, of, the, of soul care or soul cure, right? Um, and a lot of people, when they think about the idea of diagnosing something, they think of medical doctors or, or psychologists, but also pastors have been part of diagnosing um, the spiritual condition of people. And so what we see is that it starts off with kind of diagnosing uh, what's going on? Why is this phenomenon happening um, in the lives of these people? And I think that's a really important question to ask uh, because there can be a variety of reasons as to why something is happening. Um, sin of various kinds can can uh, um, uh, equate into the manifestation of this kinds of things in the people's lives. Um, you know, the occultic sins are usually ones that oftentimes will people describe experiencing these kinds of things. And so I think asking those questions are important because the role of confession and absolution, I think is just such a vital, important part of our spiritual care in these situations of helping people, right? It's something that they might be doing some unrepented sin in their own life. That is actually the reason why the manifestation of this stuff has gone on. Um, and then secondarily uh, with all of that um, is is what's been traditionally been known as the house blessing, um, or it's sometimes referred to as the right of deliverance or the right of exorcism. The Catholic Church calls it the minor minor right of exorcism, um, which is going in the house and really going room by room and reading prayers and scriptures. Um, you know, uh, there's oftentimes a use of religious objects too as well. Um, Lutherans in particular are very careful of saying, I'm not using the religious objects in the same way that the Catholics are using it. Um, so there are people that will oftentimes use water in their, in their use. Um, but it's always, always, always this idea of like, it's a remembrance of your baptism and who you are in Christ Jesus. It's never this idea that has got some sort of magic, holy water power to it. That's going to repel, you know, um, but always that sense of just it's it's about it, what I find is, is fascinating about this is always about bringing comfort and hope to the people who are dealing with the situation right mm. it's focusing on them and helping them to focus on Christ and not focusing on Satan yeah. um, so wow. much Luther was about the idea of yeah. like mocking Satan right and yeah. in fact you even read stuff in Luther how he was not in favor of the um, the major right of exorcism in the Catholic Church because he thought he gave the devil too much credit or too much you do. Right. And especially when they would say it over and over and over again, he's all like, no, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. Why would we give yeah. the devil all that attention? So mm. it's really about drawing people's attention away from Satan, away from the activity he's doing and redirect their attention on Christ and the hope that's, that's in him. 
Um, and so powerful. using water as a reminder of their yeah. baptism. You remember yeah. your identity of who you are in Christ Jesus, right? Yeah. That Galatians 2.20 have been crucified with Christ, right? Yeah. Um, people will use crosses, crucifixes as a reminder mm-hmm. of where Satan's defeat is at, right? Yeah. Um, we talked earlier about the Gnosticism that Satan likes to do, but the corpus on the cross yeah. right, is a reminder of the, the visceral nature of our, of, of our mm-hmm. redemption, right? Mm-hmm. That it was the incarnation and the real yeah. blood yeah. and yeah. suffering of Christ, you know, kind of thing that yeah. really is more of a mockery of Satan and, and, and the power over him too. Um, those, those kinds of things that go on. And, and again, uh, all of that's done to uh, bring hope, um, bring comfort to the people who are dealing with those kinds of situations. And one of the things that I wrestled with in a lot of, even in my own work on this, but in our conversations, but also in all these kinds of conversations I had with all these brothers across the United States, was to find out that, you know what, that if the phenomena doesn't diminish right away, it's not because of an inadequacy or uh, an insufficiency of the word. It's actually because the people themselves aren't clinging to the promises of the word. And I've noticed that in my own work with people mm-hmm. that I've sometimes I've gone back to do things. Yeah. And I always ask the question of like, um, so have you been going to church? Have you been yeah. taking advantage of the sacrament? Yeah. Have you, you know, and you always find out, no, no. Okay, so the problem is you're giving attention to the wrong thing. Correlation there. Right, yeah. right. So if you gave more attention, and I tell people, if you give more mm-hmm. attention to, to Christ and his promises and the word, yeah. you're going to see this stuff is going to diminish because if it doesn't wow. have your attention anymore, it's it's yeah. like, right, and it might flare up as like the kid having a tantrum tantrum. I want your yeah. attention kind of thing, but right. if you're not you're not feeding the fear and you're feeding your faith, yeah, that that really does create a whole different scenario. And, and people will testify that after a while that it may not go away right away. Although a lot of times people will say after the house blessing, it did go away. Mm-hmm. But even if it didn't go away at rate, they realized just by feeding the right thing, it yeah. did diminish and disappear. So this whole uh, talk has been fantastic. But what you just said, and you know, the, this podcast is called light of the world pointing to our Lord Jesus Christ as light of the world. You were getting to the Christology behind all of this, and the, the 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 truth that on the cross of Calvary, Jesus fulfilled that first messianic prophecy in Genesis three fifteen, yeah. and he crushed the head of Satan. And Revelation talks about Satan being bound, and that's when it happened. The the Testalistai, it is finished, and and that's and, and what I hear you saying is when we get back to that, we 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 rob giving attention to the devil right. and get back to the one who we should be giving attention to, who is um, Christus Victor, the victorious Christ. And um, I had mentioned to you a, a few of the things that, and I know I've shared with all of these with you before, but on, on the one occasion where the, the, the young daughter was talking about the man in her room and, and then the mom seeing something herself, we did exactly what you're talking about in in my pastoral service was to interview each member of the four member family and what i was doing was i was i was trying to diagnose and reminding them of the 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 sacred the the sacred nature of the office of the holy ministry in serving in christ's office with the word and sacrament and that the, there's a confidential commitment in, in our receiving confession. So assuring him of that, this isn't to you know get anybody in trouble, but we started to go through that process. And what happened in this particular case is that one of the members of the family was engaging in um, sexual immorality within the home and uh, with tears uh, confessed it, 
with the conviction to stop it. Uh, absolution, forgiveness was given. And uh, with that, we went forward to bless the house. You talked about house blessing. We did that room to room. We also identified anything that we were also talking about symbolism mm -hmm. and, and the significance of how the, the good holy symbols bring us back to the word. Mm. Yep. Yep. Although there's other symbols that put other things in our mind that perhaps we shouldn't have around the house. We found those symbols and we took them out of the house. And then we gathered as a family to give them the holy sacrament in their home. And in this particular case, years afterwards, they reported the phenomenon being gone. Um, so amen, and, and I see this as a real practical way of approaching the problem. So people, people need to know that there are pastors, first of all, that are going to take what they say seriously Absolutely. and sit down and talk with them and then give the real resources. Um, Dr. Reese, we, we have some resources in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. One of them being, I'm, I'm holding right here, this is a pastoral care companion. And, and in this pastoral care companion, we have a, a blessing of a home. And then when you go there to page 148 for the service to bless a home, which is a great service, by the way, and we, we love doing it, people of God, please ask your pastor to do it. Um, I wanted to get your, your comments and your thoughts about this, um, this part of the service. Um, as you mentioned before about going to every room, yeah. the service does that. Um, living room, entrance of the home, bedroom, family room, kitchen, dining room, et cetera. Um, so this is what we have here as we, we come to the end of the service. And it says, um, after the Lord's prayer, uh, there's this prayer. Um, Lord God Almighty, we implore you to bless and sanctify this home, its occupants and its possessions, enriching them in every way. Drive from here the snares of the evil one and send your holy angel to guard, protect, visit, and defend all who dwell in this home. Mercifully hear their prayers. And when their last hour comes, grant them safe haven in your heavenly mansions. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. What, what do you think about these kinds of prayers at House Blessings? I, I think that prayer is fantastic. Um, one of the things I love about the House Blessing is that it's versatile. It can be used for anything. Um, yeah. And, right, it's it just somebody who says, you know, I just moving into a new house. I love to have pastor. Can you come by and bless the house kind of thing too? Yeah. Or I, I remember a situation even before he became a pastor was invited over to a, a house blessing where somebody said, you know, that it was a moving in, but they also said the former occupants were engaged in some role. We're not kind of sure maybe some kind of demonic activity. We'd love to do a house blessing, you know? And so a pastor did that and I was invited to be a participant in all that, um, you know, but also at the same time, the fact that we can use that as a resource in these situations yeah. too, of, of the, of the, of the demonic manifestation phenomenon. And the fact that, that prayer um, specifically references Satan, I think is so yeah. important too, as well. Um, and we know that Satan, you know, manifests himself in various ways, right? And so that prayer I, I love because it's also talking about all of the other ways that he could be seeking to attack and drive division and what have you inside the home yeah. too as well. So I, absolutely a great resource. What an affirmation. Uh, in the same resource, we have a section on occult practices and demonic affliction. 
And there's a prayer here I wanted to share with you and get your thoughts. Um, Almighty and most merciful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, since you have called, insert the name, by your name in the waters of holy baptism, deliver him or her from the oppression of Satan and his evil host, break and hinder every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and his or her own sinful nature that does not want him or her to live in the true faith and the freedom that comes from Christ's righteousness. Do not allow him or her to be severed from you, but strengthen him or her against every assault of the evil one. For you live and reign one God now and forever. Amen. What are your thoughts? I, that prayer, I think right there, um, can easily be used um, in that situation of, a, of, uh, of the demonic manifestation, the haunted house situation, right there. I mean, even if the person's not dealing with uh, a cult oppression kind of thing too, right? That prayer even speaks to what's happening, right? They're, mm-hmm. They are seeking deliverance from what's happening in their home, the attacks going on in their home. Uh, yeah, I, yeah it's, I think it's a wonderful prayer. I love the way it's worded and, and, and everything too as well. Um, mm-hmm. And just reminding them again of their baptism. I think that's such an important part of that, right? That, Notice that. that. The identity yeah. in Christ. This is who right, you are, right. right? Satan wants you to think differently about yourself. This is who yeah. you are. And so he's trying to um, trying to make you afraid, right? As you talked yeah. earlier about Bennett's book, Afraid, right? And, yeah. and make you think that maybe you're yeah. something else or what have you kind of thing too. Yes. And, and, you know, and that kind of prayer too, I, I think of the image of um, Satan is really like the little is really like a, a little yipping, snarling dog that people are very fearful of. And they forget to realize that holding the chain is the strong man, right? He's, who, who's, who's Jesus himself, he's holding yeah. back. And, and yeah. people are like focusing their attention on the yippy dog yeah. and not on, oh, you, you, you're holding him back. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a great, great picture you painted for us. I also wanted to get your thoughts on this. I, I love what you said about how even Luther himself would remind us that uh, we shouldn't be giving Satan all this attention. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we're giving, uh, Lewis warns against uh, either the, the, the one extreme of, 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 of acting as if it's not real with yeah. no attention right. or too much attention. We certainly don't want to take our addressing possession in its various forms as being obsession about the demonic because we are to think on things above and in our Lord Jesus Christ, as you have been saying. But one of the ways I think the balance is achieved is Luther certainly, as you were saying, he he recognized the reality, but he talked about actually mocking. Yeah. And and it reminds me of a hymn we have in our hymnal. And uh, this is a Lutheran service book hymnal, uh, a smaller uh, version. And it's interesting that um, our commission on worship did not skip the number 666. They, yeah. they didn't go from hymn 665 to 667, <laughs> but they put in 666. Um, in, and as you know, the book of Revelation, Antichrist reference connected to Satan. And, and this hymn is called, O Little Flock, Fear Not the Foe. And in this hymn, we have these words. I wanted to get your, your, uh, your comments and thoughts about this. And it, it starts off in, in the first stanza. O little flock, fear not the foe who madly seeks your overthrow. Mm. Dread not his rage and power. I'm thinking about the yelping little mm-hmm. dog just mm-hmm. now. And though your courage sometimes faints, his seeming triumph 
over God's saints lasts but only a little hour. Okay. Now it gets, I, I, when you get this, by the time you get to stanza three, I'm already just, I've got this smile on my face. Okay, this stanza three. As true as God's own word is true, not earth nor hell's satanic crew against us shall prevail. There might, a joke, a mere facade. God is with us and we with God, our victory cannot fail. Yeah. Amen. Oh, <laughs> Isn't that cool? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Man, yeah. like there might a joke. Yes. Yep. A mere facade. Yep. Yep. It's it's like if you've ever walked down Main Street Disneyland. Yeah. Um, and then I actually had one time uh, we got directed to go behind Main Street Disneyland. And you realize how much of a facade right. Main Street Disneyland really is. And you're just like, really? This is Disneyland? <laughs> <laughs> wow, all the bells and whistles look literally different behind that. You know, all of a sudden, I'm less impressed. Yeah, <laughs> I, all of a sudden, the enchantment becomes disenchantment. So, right? And, and I think the same thing in regards to with that and the devil. Right, exactly. It's... Yeah. it's, it's um, the emperor has no clothes. Mm. It's the idea of uh, little Toto pulling back the curtain on, you know, on the big and powerful Oz and realize it's this little old man pulling strings it, yeah. kind of a thing. And that's like, yeah. no, it's, it's a joke. It's a facade yeah. that's going on. He wants to puff himself up and make himself bigger than he really yeah. is. Um, yeah. and, 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 that's, and that's the thing, too, is we remind ourselves, you have the creator of the universe on your side. And... Mm versus a fallen being yeah. and his horde. Yeah. The creator of the universe is always going to win. Amen. And Amen. The, the, the struggle that people have is that, um, yeah, but he's, he's, he's active and he's doing things. And, and where is God in all this? God is present. Amen. 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 <laughs> God is present. Yeah. But again, uh, he's, he's, being the yippy dog and, and drawing your attention yeah. and you're drawing your, your focus away from what you should Amen. be focusing on. That's, that's beautiful. Um, something that I share with people as I've, I've tried to, as we're teaching and equipping and diagnosing, um, you know, uh, many people are making, many Christians are making a sincere attempt to reconcile what the scriptures say. And, and one of the kind of the, the, the genuine struggles that I've encountered is that a Christian will say, I believe that Jesus defeated Satan. I really, really do. I, I believe you, Pastor, when you proclaim that. We talked about the Genesis 3.15 prophecy being fulfilled. But doesn't the scriptures also say, like in, in 1 Peter 5.8, to, to be alert for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. And, and so what I've come back with in, in those opportunities for comfort, as you were encouraging us, us to offer, is that we, we keep in mind that, yes, indeed, Jesus says in Luke 10, uh, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Mm. He is elaborating upon this total defeat of Satan. Um, and, I won't say but, I think it's proper to say and, Revelation talks about Satan's binding, being bound. Mm. When I was a little boy, my dad was, dad was a journeyman mechanic, and he had this big steel bar, and he would use it to pry and to hoist whatever. And... Um, when we would go out with our Australian shepherds out into the country, they had long leashes. And we would put that bar into the ground 
So we could tie the dogs up to the bar while we did whatever we were doing. And they could prowl around, but only within the confines of that circle yeah. around the bar. And, I, and, and this is where I love what you're saying because in that yelping and trying to make us afraid, he's trying to lure us in to his very small perimeter. Right. But God has made us wise. And as we keep, keep Christ before us and the full armor of God, we are kept safe in the word and the sacraments and all the other gifts, and we have nothing to fear. I'm, I'm always encouraged by James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Yeah. So speaking of resources, um, in terms of your dissertation, what are things that you're recommending? Now, you've mentioned several resources, and, and you've affirmed the resources in the Pastoral Care Companion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But what are some other resources we can offer people going through these uh, experiences? Yeah, so um, I've, I've gathered some resources, too, as well, from a lot of pastors who, who have put together um, uh, various blessings and rights and deliverances that I think can be great resources to be used. Um, I think Bennett's book, I think especially his second book, mm -hmm. um, I think is a good resource and he does have some practical things in there too as well that can be used. Um, I think we have to be cautious on some of the other Christian resources that are out there. Some of them aren't very helpful. Some of them are too sensationalistic yeah. um, in regards to that help. So I, I think we have to be a little bit cautious on that. Um, in in some respects too, I, what I've found is that there's a, is a, a dearth of good, strong, really Lutheran resources on this. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what's there, um, there is some good, Bennett, um, John Warwick Montgomery wrote a book that I think is still really excellent, uh, Powers and Principalities. Um, there's even a, 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 um, a German Lutheran pastor, uh, Kurt Koch, um, who, uh, K-O-C-H is how that's, how that's written his last name. Um, and he actually wrote some, I think, good resources on this too as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the ones he wrote that was probably one of the better ones is, is really um, Pastoral Counseling in the Occult. Hmm. Um, and, uh, I love the fact that actually he does also speak very, in, in all of his other books too, he speaks very powerfully about the use of confession and absolution and those mm -hmm. kinds of things too. Mm -hmm. So those are some good kind of written resources to go to. Yeah. Um, I think especially to, um, pastors really need to be equipped to have good resources. So go to our resources that we already have naturally in front of us. Right. right. But the other, let me, let me talk about pastors too there for a moment. One of the things I was encouraged in my re research was that how often pastors actually went to other LCMS pastors. Mm. Um, mm. And so it was organically happening. Mm. And, and I just thought that was mm. the greatest thing that they were doing this. And, and so often I actually found other guys to, to, um, interview because they were like, yeah, I went to so-and-so. Do you know about so-and-so? Yeah. I'm like, no, I don't know about so-and-so. Will you make that introduction for me? And then yeah. I would, you know, or they would, or there was one, um, you know, uh, grouping of pastors that actually they read Bennett's book together, mm -hmm. uh, the second one, and then actually created a conversation discussion about how they were dealing with things in their, in their yeah. own parishes with parishioners in their homes and those kinds mm -hmm. of things too. And so I always think that, you know what, there are good written resources, but there's also, you know what, human resources yeah. in that regards that we can go to people who've got experience yeah. that, um, that are 
great people that we can go to have those conversations with. And Amen. So, Amen. Um, I think in that regards, if pastors, you know, reach out to fellow brothers and see mm-hmm. what, what they've what they've gone through, maybe they've gone through it, what resources they have, yeah. and those kinds of things. My my dissertation was is made to be free, available online for people to get access to because I want it to be that resource for the church. Thanks for doing that. Oh, thank you. Um, and so, so that people can access. And then the yeah. appendices, there's actually that um, rites of exorcism that a lot of people have shared with me and those kinds of things. And some of them are variations of what we already have and mm-hmm. inclusion of specific kinds of prayers they wrote for those situations or anything too. But I think it's great to have that kind of repository of things that can be, can be shared with people. So. Absolutely. Speaking of going to pastors, uh, several years ago, um, I was dealing with someone uh, with, um, a bodily oppression. I, I won't assume possession, but they were experiencing things bodily. And so I, I actually reached out to Robert Bennett, mm. and um, th- just to kind of summarize his his very wise counsel, you had mentioned that that some of these rights and resources that we should not go to, we should not go to because they sensationalize. Yes. And Robert Bennett <clears throat> really made a point of that. He said, for, you know, don't don't imagine that this has to be fancy dancy sensational. And what he got me back to is, is he said, Al, just think of what you do when you pronounce the holy absolution in divine service, think of what you do when you conduct a baptism. This is proclamatory. It's based on the authority of Jesus. It's the word of Christ. Just proclaim. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. and, and of course we join that with good prayer. Um, but as I'm, when I, when I think of resources too, I'm also thinking of, and I know you're certainly considering this as well. You have, uh, as to how we can counsel our parishioners uh, when we walk away and we leave the visitation yeah, or, or yeah. the meeting. One of the things that I've done, um, I've tried to do consistently, is when people are suffering this way, is to try to teach them about, um, well, first of all, I'm going to say teach them about what you've already mentioned, that you, you mentioned that sometimes when the, the healing is given, uh, the blessing upon the home, uh, the reason why you'll have to come back is because people have not remained in the word and sacraments. Yeah. Yeah. And so to, to encourage and to admonish, to remain in the word and the sacraments. The other thing I've done though, is to teach about the full armor of God. Yeah. yeah. Would you relate that scripture to what we're talking about? Yes. Um, and that scripture, I, I love that scripture <laughs> for, for all kinds of, all kinds of reasons. But, um, one of the things I want to start off with and talking about that scripture, it's, it's always hit me. And I think we miss this because of the English is that the you there is a plural you, mm. um, as a colleague, uh, uh, Mike Middendorf likes to give the distinction in mm-hmm. um, teaching New Testament and, and Greek and everything too as well, that the plural you is the all y'all, right? And yes. the singular you yes. use, it, use our text to speak. Yeah. And so, and what's interesting about that is I think so often we find, and I see this even in writings and everything too, is that people want to talk about the individual. Mm-hmm. You are armored in God, but, mm-hmm. but Paul's saying all y'all are armored in God. Mm-hmm. It's one armor that we're all armored in. Mm-hmm. And so I think what that says to me is the importance of the body of Christ, Amen. right? So getting to what you talked about, not shunning going to worship mm-hmm. and being around the, what we call mm-hmm. the, the consolation of the brethren and those mm-hmm. kinds of things too as well. Um, but also getting back to the specific aspects of the armor to remember, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the salvation that you have in Christ Jesus, right? Yeah. The righteousness you have in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Every piece of armor I think we have to realize is mm-hmm. about Jesus. Wow, that's um, powerful. And I think it was, 
Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, that he said this, he goes, when you read the armor of God, you should see Jesus. You are armored in Jesus, and that's what that is. And right, and Amen. I think we we can go, and we I don't think we can. We can go and see ex- aspects of how every single armor relates to Jesus. Um, wow, that's powerful. And, and so, and and the other thing too that I love about mm-hmm. the armor of God is I think people miss out, and especially those who uh, in the Christian church that aren't sacramental. Mm-hmm is the language there that Paul uses in Ephesians 6 also is very similar to the language that Paul uses in Colossians of being clothed in Christ. Um, it's the same kind of a word that, that gets used. And so Paul in Colossians specifically connects it to baptism. Now, I think Paul is indirectly connecting to baptism in Ephesians 6, and I think that's what he wants us to think. So being armored is being armored in your baptism, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone who's baptized has got the armor of God on them. And so yeah. it's really remembering of the fact that you have that armor in your life. You have Christ in your life, that's right? Um, that armor of God, I, I think, too, it's it takes me back to um, Isaiah. That's where we read about God donning his armor, and he actually mm-hmm. dons it first and foremost against rebellious Israel. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, wow. You know, he's in the the warrior of God motif all throughout the Bible, right? And he he does it against Israel's enemies. But there specifically, you see specific pieces of armor that I think Paul is pulling from. And yet Mm -hmm. what hits me is like, how is it that we go from God donning his armor against the rebellious people, Mm -hmm. sinful humanity, to where now we're wearing God's armor? It's Christ. Amen. It's all because Christ and yeah. and that if we're in Christ, then we also yeah. are armored in him and we get to be, mm-hmm. um, have that armor on us. And so that's just mind-blowing to wow. me to think about the fact that you're yeah. right. So That's very exciting. So I, I, I really want to caution when people talk about this idea of like, well, you know, you just got to remember to put on your armor. Yeah. Well, yes, but in the sense of remembering your baptism. Amen. 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 <laughs> and that you are already yeah. armored in Christ. That's what I think it means to be put on the full armor of God is yeah. that you are arm- armored in him and remembering that you're armored in him yeah. and finding that confidence and strength in him. You know, that beautiful imagery of you taking it to the body of Christ, when I think specifically about how the Roman soldiers use their shields, yes, yeah. they would come into the collective and they would collectively be able to cover at all sides, on top, left, right, back, forward, whatever. And collectively, we're able to protect each other. Yes, yeah. And this is what the body of Christ does. Yes. And, and, and this is the antithesis to, I think, the ways of our adversary, the devil. He seeks to isolate people. Right. Get them to be alone, isolated, fill, you use the word about hopeless. Right. Why? Because we no longer have that encouragement. Right. So uh, amen to that. And we see Christ in each other as we are serving each other in the church, right. as we echo back and forth his word. And, and you know, with that too, um, you know, um, with, we, you mentioned first Peter five, eight beforehand. And I always think about the, you know, discovery channel programs I've seen about lions hunting mm-hmm. in the Serengeti or whatever. Yeah. And, and if you ever notice about lions, they never do a direct attack on, mm. on if you've got like a gathering of elephants, mm-hmm. it's, it's just folly to do that. Right. It's always, they want to isolate the weakest member, right. Yeah. And then attack. And I think yeah. that's also, as you mentioned, Satan's mm-hmm. tactic. Yeah. And so I notice that when people, whether it's this kind of spiritual attack or other spiritual attacks, mm-hmm. Luther in his, Letters of spiritual counsel often counsel people dealing with depression. Don't isolate yourself. Don't be lonely because then you're yeah. making yourself vulnerable. Wow. Um, yeah. And I think the same thing too as well. I, right. And we need each other. Yeah. And 
when when I'm weak, you're strong, and vice yeah. versa, kind of thing. And that's right. why I, I love too going back to what you talk about in regards mm-hmm. to the shields, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that I'm a, I might be able to hold a shield up on on one part of my body, but I'm exposed all around me. But if I got brothers and sisters around me also yeah. holding up their shields, yeah. then man, together we're just you know got each other's back, right? So yeah, that's yeah fantastic. being together in the body of Christ, and yeah. and one thing is in cycling back to the research. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of the powerful things I found too is a lot of times of pastors going to homes and bringing elders with them, mm-hmm. you know, bringing other members of the church to pray mm-hmm. with, with that part of the church too, as well, to realize you're not alone in this. That's you know, beautiful. You're, you know, as, as you suffer, we come and suffer with you in this and, and proclaim Christ to you in the midst of this. So, I love that. Yeah. I love that. This has been a great blessing. Uh, thank you for your research yeah. and your writing and making this available to everybody. Absolutely. Um, as we sign off today, can you give our, our listeners just kind of a bottom line of comfort regarding this and why we should be comforted and confident as we face these kinds of things in the world? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm reminded of John 12, where Jesus talks about the idea that um, as he will be lifted up, um, you know, the evil one is cast out of the world. And I love, I love how John, what's interesting about John's gospel, right? We don't have any exorcism stories. The synoptics have it, but John doesn't. Yet John talks about really the exorcism happening, the exorcism, I would say, happening in the cross. Wow. Um, and, I, and I think that's a reminder. That's where we always go mm-hmm. back to, right? He is the one who exercises the devil out of the world and, and delivers us. Um, and so whatever we're facing in our own life, it's in his hands. He's taking mm-hmm. care of it. The power is all his. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, that's why I look at the idea of, of um, you know what, any pastors coming in the home, we're really not in a sense an exorcist. We're just doing the work of the exorcist that he's called us to do mm-hmm. and to bring that comfort of the cosmic exorcism that he's done for Satan out of the world. Mm-hmm. And you know what? And as and as Luther oftentimes would say when he dealt with poltergeist phenomenon, there's one thing I, I remember him particularly talking about saying, you know what, Satan, if you really think you're Lord of this house and you want to just rattle and do your thing, whatever, I know you're really not. There's that mocking part of it. So guess what? You know what? I'm... I know who I am in Christ Jesus and I'm going to roll over and go to sleep and you can do what you want to do. That kind of confidence, right? That's faith. <laughs> is faith and getting yeah. back to that John 12, mm-hmm. I have I have conquered the world, I have overcome and cast him out. So on that note, you've really put forth Jesus Christ as the light of the world. Absolutely. And darkness cannot withstand that light. Absolutely. Brother, uh, thank you for joining us thank and you. for your contribution to the kingdom work. Keep it up, good brother. Thank you. All right. (laughs) Thanks for joining us on Light of the World.